All right, welcome everybody to episode 14, Direct Reprogramming. I am Dr. Christopher Pisano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannat, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. Yosef, my man, what's up? How's it going over there, Chris? Do you say direct or direct? Direct. Direct, right? I said direct. I don't think I've ever said that No, I would say direct, uh, maybe be more direct, I guess, but like, um, Maybe I was trying to make more emphasis. I feel like you can say like direct, it's more, you know? Yeah, it depends. It's like defense. You say sometimes defense or department of defense, you know, it's just, it depends on the context. It's a weird word like that, but okay, direct. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) All right, man. So we got a direct reprogram as a title. I thought because, uh, you know, in the literature we'll talk about in a little bit, there were some interesting papers on reprogramming, direct reprogramming, taking one cell type, turning it into another. So I thought, uh, Today on the show, we would focus on that, and to do that, we have uh, Dr. Justin Achita uh, from the University of Southern California. Justin is a friend of ours and has a lab where he does a lot of reprogramming to study neurodegenerative disease. Right, Yos, he's, he's a real, he's a, he's a good dude, and he's a great scientist, so he'll provide and shed some light on the yeah, field. Do you, know, pro- do you know where he's at now? Yeah, he's at USC, University of Southern California. Yes, that's how I thought. He's he's he's, he's probably road, he's yeah. probably hanging out at the beach right now while we're in the freezing cold. So cold. Yes, yes. Cold. So I look forward to that. He's a uh, you know he 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 worked with Kevin Egan over at Harvard before. Now yes. he's a young postdoc with his own lab, and uh, he's kind of a rock star. I like I like I like his work, and he's a great guy. Well, he's a young investigator now with his own lab. Yeah. That's why I call him a rock star. He is a rock. He is a rock star. <laughs> so he'll be on the show, and we will kick it with him in about uh, in a little bit. But let's do before we get into some science roundups. What do we got? Oh, so this will probably the show will probably air Monday. Typically, when we tape, we air them on Monday. So this is Monday. Everyone's hearing this. This is the last day to get that uh, early bird registration for that next gen con- uh, conference in Saratoga. So. Go on today and register. Save some money because uh, the the fee goes up. Use podcast to get a discount. A bunch of people registering. Yo, so I'm excited. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'll definitely be there with uh, you and uh, look forward to some good talks. The talks last year were great. Great talks. We're going to ISSCR out in Vancouver. Uh, I'm registered. Yo, so I think he told me he just registered. Right, man. It's a nice small conference. I love that. It's, I I was told ISSCR was like that back in the day. Am I right? Were you there? I was at the first one, and it oh. was like so intimate. It was like you know they had sit down dinners. Wow. Um, now that's not happening at ICCR, but at, at our conference in Saratoga, we get that you can get that one on one, which is awesome. Yeah, I agree. So. Um, let's see what else do I have? Oh, stemcellpodcast.com is up and live. Yo, so a bunch of people went there to check it out. Thank you guys for going to check it out. Yeah, I can't believe we forgot to mention that. It's a beautiful website. We're working on, we're improving it even more and more every day. So we're going to get some links up there. So the way it'll work is there's a free resource tab. You go there, you click on it. And what we'll do is we'll have the links to uh, the papers we talk about. Um, so you guys can just go there and click on the link and get the paper. Uh, if you have access to get the PDFs and nice, such. Nice pictures of the people we're interviewing. Yeah, you like that? Lab, but yeah, really good pictures. Um, we'll, have, we'll have to get a nice picture from Justin tonight. I have to make sure I ask him to get a picture of him with some palm trees in the background. <laughs> nice. All right, so let's kick it off. Yost gets into his roundup first, so I'll give the uh, mic to him. What's up? Yeah, first and foremost, there was uh, – did you see a, a second girl had been uh, – a, a young child had been cured of HIV? Did you see that? 
they gave her the antiretroviral I I really this. young and early, and the virus has disappeared. So I just want to start off with that. Not really a paper, but kind of a, you know, we've been living with that disease. Like it feels like my whole life, but, um, I'm not that young and <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. It's so when they, look, when they say it's gone, is it just below detection or is it gone? It's just, yeah. I mean, is that the same thing? If it's not replicating and taking over, yeah, it's gone. It's it's that's under in, control, yeah. So, so, yeah, early, you know, and heavy heart treatment, as they call it, was it? the I forget what the H stands for, but it's like antiretroviral. Maybe it's HIV, antiretroviral heart treatment. That that seems to be working. There are earlier and the better. So no more AIDS babies, which is a great thing. Wow, that's a yeah, great. Thing. Hopefully, um, Nature Medicine. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was an article in Nature Medicine uh, talking about sepsis. Did you see this? Anything about oh, the uh, yeah. acupuncture? Yeah, it was the acupuncture study showing that uh, they could basically reduce the amount of sepsis um, by applying uh, acupuncture, and it was mediated through the adrenal glands and dopamine release. And uh, you know, I'm sure acupuncture people are going to go crazy about this, but it's it's a nice article over in Nature Medicine, so uh, you can find you, that. You there. ever uh, you ever get acupuncture done? I have actually because I have like I I have like a chronic back pain problem, an acute one, and I thought that that would help, and it it helped with the symptoms, but not really the cause. So I stopped. I never got acupuncture. I wanted to, but I feel like I might like it, and then I feel like I might go in there and be the guy with like the five thousand needles in him, and then it gets weird, you know? It's not five thousand. It's more. <laughs> <laughs> But that's great that that's how your mind envisions uh, man, it. Sorry, go ahead. Man, sorry. Uh, there was a Nature article showing that uh, UV radiation can cause melanoma to metastasize in mice. It was uh, via inflama- inflammation pathways through these uh, neutrophil granulocytes. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Should bring that up. You can find that in Nature under uh, UV radiation. Cool. There was a PNAS, our favorite what? Our favorite PNAS. journal. Yes, uh, our favorite journal uh, study reviving a 30,000-year-old virus. 30,000-year-old virus. Yeah, it's called Pithovirus Sibiricum. It's a huge virus. It's actually 1.5 micrometers, or we say microns, uh, 1.5 microns for virus is pretty big, and it infects amoebas. So uh, they unlocked it through the melting Siberia permafrost. So you can find that over in PNAS. Wow. Yeah, how how awesome is that, dude? I want to see an amoeba. Like you know, like you ever come across an amoeba on a daily basis? No, right? No, but I just find this fascinating that things like bacteria can be infected by bacteriophages. Know. You know, it's like know. even amoeba are susceptible to viruses as well. And so the amoebas we, can't can't escape getting a stomach bug. Yeah, it's like everything's susceptible to something at the end of the it's day. True. It's so true. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so uh you can find that in PNAS, the Proceedings PNAS. National Academy of Sciences. And then uh, uh, there was a recent study in, I think it was, nope, I can't find that link, but uh, showing that glyphosate 
uh, oh, is the Journal of Toxicology, glyphosate. This is the chemical in Roundup. Uh, may be linked to gluten sensitivity. So you can find really? that. Yeah, yeah. So who knows what's going on with celiac disease? I feel like everybody has it now. So any clues to that? I just, you know, you can maybe find that with the increased use of Roundup. Maybe that explains the increase. I don't know what's up with celiac. Seems like a lot of people have it. But, oh, uh, yeah, a lot of people have celiac, right? All of a sudden, it's weird. And and I used to think it was just something that happened to Caucasians, but uh, there's like an ex-Bengals football player who has uh, celiac, so it's it, it's it's out there. <laughs> I think one of our our buddy was it uh, Seb Sebastian? Didn't he have uh, celiac? No, he had, he had Crohn's. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally different. Um but uh moving on, American Journal of Medicine uh study showing that uh blood pressure should be taken in both arms cuz there could be a, up to a 10 uh mmHg difference uh between the two. So uh you know that scale that they use when they pump up that little pump and uh there could be up to a 10 difference you know on that scale so um see that, that makes sense to me because as a scientist that you're always taught to increase your n right like if you one time is not enough like yeah I'll give you why not arm. yeah well i mean yeah, it's the simplest whatever. thing it's just take both sides take yeah. the average at, at the very I don't least mind. i don't mind yeah so uh moving on uh pilas study um the what is that the public library of science i always get confused after penis um showing that uh one it's uh the the body shape index so this body shape index yeah yeah, is more effective predictor of mortality than the body mass index don't ask me the difference between the two, but I've definitely heard of the body mass index. Um, but the body shape index uh, is, I guess, more, I don't know, effective in terms of morbidity. So maybe it's right, a better well, scale. I know, I, I, well, I will have to look that up or someone out there who knows that. I've uh, heard of BMI. Yeah, I've heard of BMI, but I haven't heard of body shape index. So uh, I thought bring it up. Uh, there was also a FACEB. Or FASIB, but how do you say that? F A S E B. I say FASIB, but I don't really know. FASIB journal study showing that dark chocolate restores flexibility to arteries and it prevents white blood cells from sticking to the walls of blood vessels. You're damn right it does. Yeah, and this has nothing to do with flavanol content because uh, when they increased that, it, it had no effect. And this is all. Uh, done in overweight men. So uh, that's the context of the study. But um, if you like dark chocolate and you're fat, maybe this is good for you. Nice. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I love me some dark chocolate. Yeah, mm -hmm. I figure that one, you know, I know a lot of ladies who also like the chocolate, like a lot. So I thought I'd throw that one in there. That's um, good, man. Uh, Journal of Pediatrics study of uh, 7,500 moms showing that breastfeeding uh, six months or longer uh, can increase kids' performance on reading assessments. And um, but this this is a rough one because it could be due to like the parents that do that for six months or more also read to their kids more so it's tough to control for something like that. interesting i always if, wonder how they could do properly control there's so many things yeah you know? if you're you, you, if you don't have enough time to breastfeed then it's like you know of course that kid's not going to do better than a kid whose mom is hovering over them and reading to them every night but you know 
it's it's hard to control for so uh there just really quickly there was a mysterious polio disease that's been shown up in about uh uh 20 uh children in california and it's uh uh this enterovirus 68 is responsible. It's it's kind of a strange new outbreak. So hmm. uh, you can find that enterovirus 68. It's some some like polio is a scary disease. That's yeah, all man, I know. Polio is like ooh. I'm glad I hear, like when I hear that when they say like there was a polio, I go ooh. You yeah, know, you're like, like FDR had it and he couldn't walk and was you know like what what was that all and the blankets and all that stuff you know. With the Native Americans, Ugh, they man. say like the polio blankets and yeah, polio. Just, no, thank you. Yeah, no, the gladits eradicated. And you, have you ever seen the mark on people from yes, outside of like, America? Like, like a piece of their skins out. Yeah, it's it's kind of anyhow. yeah. Look, whatever you got to do. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. not let's contain that. But the good news is, is <laughs> with like you know technology, we're not only able to transport. I mean, we could stop it. There's an increased risk with the being able to fly that uh, a disease can outbreak, but there's also increased technology to contain it. So we've been really effective on, you know, containing it using things like the Internet and the CDCs on top of this stuff. So it's it's definitely, you know, technology is a double-edged sword. Everybody knows that. So It is. Yeah. Um uh, American Journal of Human Genetics study that autism is five times more common in males, right? Uh, yep. And that uh, this could be due to females having an extra X chromosome and that the genes that are on there are more important for brain development. And there's about 1,500 genes on the X chromosome, and 5% of them are important for the development of the brain. So having that extra copy in the genome is probably explaining why that is the case with autism. Where is that study? Yes, do you know? American Journal of Human Genetics. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So five times more. Uh, that It's strange. It's But the numbers are insane, man. Did you know it's like one out of 52 for boys yeah, one out of and one out of 250 for girls? It's crazy. I, You know, that it, it rounds out to be about one in 100, but still, it, it, it never used to be that high. It's, um, the it's rates insane, of autism. I mean, are, I mean you know, a lot of people will get into the argument of that spectrum, like what's really a diagnosis, you know, like, is it, really, you know, but still, I mean, regardless, that's an insane, that's an insane rate. It's going yeah. up. It's bad. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so I have to read that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, there was a journal of endocrinology study showing that BM fit BMP bone, mo, uh, bone morphogen, morphogen, what is it? Morphogenic or genetic? Morphogenetic. Morphogenic protein fifteen BMP fifteen determines the number of ripened eggs released to the ovary. You can find that in the Journal of Endocrinology. Cool. Uh, there was also a JAMA study. Was that the Journal of American Medical Association? I believe uh, JAMA study showing. JAMA. Yeah. Uh, there was a increased risk of autism uh, with mothers who took acetaminophen uh, during their pregnancy, which is Tylenol, essentially, and especially Damn. during the second and third trimester. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that, that you know, it's acetaminophen's good for older men, but 
Not so much for pregnant moms. Yeah, that's scary. So, uh, then finally, there was a journal of, uh, there's a journal called Neuropsychopharmacology. That's all one word. Neuropsychopharmacology. I, I think that's, that's actually the first journal I ever published in, um, back in the day. Um, so this, this study showed that the temporal parietal junction has uh, more spontaneous activity in people who regularly recall their dreams. They hmm. did a, a big PET study, which is positron emission tomography. Uh, they showed that in about 41 uh, volunteers that this region is more active. Uh, so they showed more activity in the medial prefrontal cortex and in the temporal parietal junction, the TPJ. Sort of like the TMJ, like the, the, the mm-hmm. clicking jaw, you know that? Like yeah. clicking jaw thing. Anyhow, but this one's the TPJ in the brain, the temporal parietal junction. So that that mediates perhaps how some people are able to remember their dreams better than others. The dreams are what got me really, really into neuroscience when I, back in the day, like dreams always fascinated me, man. Like really what they were and how you recall them. So really that's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Mine was neurogenesis. That's another amazing one too. Yeah. Uh, that was fascinating. The whole story between, uh, the songbirds and things like the that. The songbirds. And then it became like a fight between Pashko Rakish and, uh, Elizabeth Gould. And it became like, she showed that there was neurogenesis in the cortex. And he was like, no. And it turns out, I guess at the end of the day, he was right. And now everybody does confocal microscopy for neurogenesis in the brain. So that's good. But like, it, you know, neurogenesis happens in a couple of regions, but in the cortex, it's pretty much not. It's not happening, unfortunately. But um, yeah, that was that was exciting for to be a part of that to see. Like he, I I saw Pashko give a talk once where he was like, "My, I can't even play tennis. My friends make fun of me. They say let's play one more round to make some new memories." You know, some new neurons because, you know, exercise increases neurogenesis in the hippocampus. And so, like, you know, if it could happen there, why can't it happen in the cortex? And his whole point was, why do I still have this accent from when I was a, you know, kid in, I think, Yugoslavia or somewhere? Like, neurogenic, the brain is plastic, but not that plastic, right? Mm. At the end of the day. So, uh, that's it for me on the science roundup. Cool, man. Thank you. That's yeah. interesting. Now you got my brain thinking. All right, let me let me let me like focus it in here. All right, so I'll run through some stem cell um, uh, papers and some news, and then we'll get to Justin. So let me try to get through this quick. So the largest the uh, largest trial for uh, adult stem cells and heart attack patients has begun or is beginning. Yos, it's this is a Europe. It's going on in Europe. So heart disease, the world leading cause of death. It, it is the world leading cause of death still, man. I forget that. Heart yeah. Disease. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's more than 17 oh, uh, million people die globally. A, a lot of it's cigarettes too. Wow. Heart attacks usually caused by, they're saying clot in the coronary artery. So um, what they're doing here, this is a bone marrow stem cell. So they take bone marrow uh, stem cells from the patient and they put them, inject them into the muscle of the heart. And this is going to be for 3,000 patients, and they're going to see whether life can be prolonged by administering these stem cells from the bone marrow into the heart, so that it can regenerate muscle and help with the strength and the output. Um, 
So that's, and there, I think there's like, I think it says something like, let's see, 19 partners from all across Europe, France, Germany, Italy, Finland. So that's, that's underway now. Nice. I like to see progression with these things. Um, all right. This is kind of crazy. Did you hear about this? You, you know, the whole, the idea of cloning meat, like making meat. Yeah. From clone I, cells? I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> there's the, yeah, there's this company called bite, this bite labs. How about bite saying, me? <laughs> I really don't want yeah, clone meat. I'm they sorry. Make, they want to make cloned meat from celebrities. So they want to make like, they, they said this company wants to make in vitro meat from celebrity stem cells. Are you so kidding you, me? You can get So like, I have a Kardashian burger? Yeah, you have like a... Like a, like a Bieber a, burger? Uh, yeah, exactly. You have like a Kim Kardashian sausage or something. A Bieber burger. This is ridiculous. This and so they're saying, people are saying that they're obviously kidding, but what's not, what they're not kidding about is making this meat. Uh, they have these bioreactors and they can make these muscle cells and turn them into meat. So their whole thing is their marketing thing is we're going to make celebrity meats. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is the evil genius stage of organoids. <laughs> okay. This, I don't this know. Is what crazy, to say. Man. This is the, this is real. Go to it. It's called bite labs. Bite what? D I T E bite labs. Wow. It's crazy. Check it out. Okay. Um, the USPTO, which is our patent, uh, USPTO here, they, yes. issue patents. they issued a patent for fraudulent stem cell procedures. So you know that we talked about Wu Suk uh, Wang, who had that uh, discovery that was basically fraudulent. fraudulent. Well, we the USPTO issued a patent for that, even though it's been subsequently deemed as fraudulent, and they can't take the patent back. So there's a patent. He has a patent for it still. Are you so, kidding me? How long does that last? 20 years? Something like that. But you know what they're saying in there? I guess it's a good point. They say that in general, these patent applications are really meant to be on the honor system because the applicants don't really have to verify their claims because they're making public. So if it doesn't work, it's never going to work. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, if any procedure covered by the patent doesn't work, then there's Hold nothing on, to Hold on, but Metalipov basically was able to do it. He was That's a, true. you That's know, true. so She's like, that, that, so that he, he has the patent position on that technology, yeah, essentially. Yeah, so I guess you, if you, if you're like, I can invent the telephone. Look, I made a phone call, and then the first time around, it doesn't work, and then it works. You know, I guess you still own the patent, so great. True. Yeah, okay, I so guess that's how it works. This is made news, so you can. Sh- this is in the New York Times. You can check it out. Uh, if you just Google that, you, you'll find it. It's pretty wild. Wow. That's talk that about is criticizing the USPTO and how they can do something like that, even though it's well documented that all of that is still fake. So Okay. Well, you know, major journals have been um, faked right. out in the past, so why not uh, the U.S. Patent Office? That's true. That's so. true. This is a study that came out of the journal Stem Cell Reports, and it's kind of a kick for me because I did this experiment, Yosef, uh, when I was in Lorenz's lab. We just didn't have the right antibody at the time. Uh, so this is out of Jun Takahashi's lab um, in Japan. Isolation of human-induced pluripotent stem cell-derived dopaminergic progenitors by cell-sorting for successful transplantation. So... One of the issues with making cells, derivative cells from, from pluripotent cells is that it's never a pure population you're generating. So we try to come up with strategies to purify just the cells we want. So they used a cell surface marker named Corin, 
um, which is expressed on floor plate cells. And um, they found that when they sort using this corin at a young stage, they can enrich for uh, dopaminergic, uh, uh, the membrane dopaminergic lineage and generate a better graft, more survival, and less progenitors around. So um, uh, they say uh, it's a new strategy to purify dopaminergic neurons. That's what I'm all about, and uh, corn is definitely a valid target. So that was in Stem Cell Reports. Check it out. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the next the next paper in the same journal is uh, it's coordination of engineered factors with TET one two promotes early stage epigenetic modification during s- somatic cell reprogramming. Basically, and this is uh, um, from Dahua Chen is the last author. Um, and let's see, they're in China. Let's the state key laboratory of reproductive biology. So. You know, we're talking about reprogramming with this. Is we'll start getting a little bit of reprogramming here and then with Justin. Um, this was Yosef was a way for them to improve efficiency. So they took what's called the this yes, uh, this yes transactivating domain, and they uh, engineered it to uh, kind of they tethered it to the protein, if you will. You know, and they made this kind of super active uh, version. So this yes-associated pro- protein has this, is a transactivation domain, which basically would lead to increased transcription. So it's a way to boost the, the four factors. So when they did that, they found uh, a significant boost of reprogramming efficiency, something like 100 times. It was really, really dramatic. Uh, and they showed the mechanism and how it works. So just more information with uh, uh, for reprogramming. And then... Uh, so that was that. And then I'm just going to say there were about three other papers talking about direct reprogramming. I'll put the links up on the website, um, taking a skin cell, turning it into liver cells, or taking a skin cell and turning it into pancreatic cells for diabetes. Um, and I think we should stop here, uh, Yos, and just get Justin in so we can talk about this topic in a bit more detail. What do you think? So why don't you bring in our guest? All right, yo. So tonight, our guest on episode 14 is Dr. Justin Achita. Uh, Justin is an assistant professor in stem cell biology and regenerative medicine at the Eli and Eve Broad Center for Regenerative Medicine and Stem Cell Research, uh, the University of Southern California, which I was recently at and I got to visit him. It's beautiful out there. Uh, Justin's lab, his, his research really, he'll get into it in a minute, is focused on understanding um, really the factors that contribute to human neurodegenerative disease shares a common interest between Yosef and I. And in the lab, he's using chemical sort of genetic tools to uh, r- really better understand transcription factor, or de- defined factor reprogramming. We talked about this in the, in the beginning of the show, uh, how you can use reprogramming to basically model disease and, sh- and such. And Justin's really... Uh, provided the uh, stem cell world and the science world with some really uh, strong studies and literature over the past years uh, when he did his postdoc work with Kevin Egan on reprogramming. And so with that, I'll let him speak for himself, Dr. Justin Achita, my friend. Welcome aboard to the Stem Cell Podcast. What's up, man? All right. Thanks, Chris and Yosef. Uh, good to be here. How is it uh, over there? Uh, it's great. It's great. You know, it's uh, about 80 degrees and clear skies so we had some i don't know if you heard we had some rain here the last few days which made big news for us yeah that, yeah i love how that makes big news <laughs> yeah so, so, so justin was on the east coast he was at harvard do you, do you miss the snow at all maybe for like a day 
No, I, I actually enjoy reading <laughs> the news, and then every week this year, it seems like there's a huge snowstorm headed for the East Coast. I just enjoy the fact that I can ignore that. Yeah, yeah. Well, will you? Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Did we have? So we had we had not Dr. Knopfler on last with last time. He's from California. I oh, think yeah, this is the guy who's doing the stat blog. Yeah, the stat blog. Man, that's stat. That's that's a wonderful. It's crazy. I've been really following that, and and actually, you know, at you know, at first I was really for it. I thought it was. It had to be real just because I, I didn't think they could. It was hard to, I think, accidentally have that data for the totipotent cells. Um, so they must have made some kind of cell that was not an IPS cell. Um, and then and then some of the other data came out uh, where it looked like they were, some of the figures were copied from other manuscripts or the, the totipotent placenta was spliced together with like a, a different embryo, and there was some question as to why the the normal IPS controls didn't contribute at all to the placenta, which it normally should have. So then I was kind of in doubt, and I would say like generally um, most people I talked to were in doubt. Um, but then I had my a visitor uh, last week whose um, his name is Hide Akutsu. He was a, a, a lab mate of uh, Wakayama when, when they were working on the mouse cloning. So they did the mouse cloning together um, at the University of Hawaii. And so he's very close with Wakayama. And he said that um, Wakayama swears that it's, it's real. He's done it with his own hands. And it just, um, there's some important things that if you don't do it right, uh, you don't get it. So. It's not as easy as it seems, but it definitely is real. And then they recently, I don't know if you guys saw this, but a couple of days ago they sent out a protocol. Yeah, I saw that. Riken or Riken, however you pronounce How do you pronounce it, Joe? How, what's the proper, is it Riken? Riken? It's Riken, yeah. yeah they, they put out that protocol, right? A little more detail? Yeah, so, you know, my, I'm, I'm guessing that it is real. I mean, I don't know a single person who's reproduced it, but I'm guessing that it is real. And it's just going to take... Um, figuring out what the important parts of the protocol are. Well, there was a, I don't know, did you see this, any of you guys, there was this uh, article in the Boston Globe that came out, George Daly, who said that he's concerned about the rush to use blogging and social media to report, you know, early experience with a complex biological experiment. Uh, So he went on to say that (laughs) scientific experiments take time and many replications to work confidently in early reporting Uh may reflect a negative bias. So, you know, I guess I get that. I understand that this, that, you know, like so for example, you know, Paul Knopfler, who was on the show, was blogging this in, in real time. And yeah, I think we were we were talking about it, Justin. It's something very new to the science world. Daily reports. It's on, very new, you know. but I'm all for it because I just think it's an amped up uh, version of what you do anyway. I mean, you talk to other people that do this, and for people that aren't surrounded by lots and lots of people who do it, it's kind of neat to be able to see what what else is going on out there and and yeah you i mean i don't think anybody is saying just because um there are 50 people on the blog that didn't get it to work that um they're going to believe that it really doesn't work I, I just think it's just informative to know what everybody else is is experiencing so you're uh, willing to go past the duplication of figures and say that with this new protocol it will be repeated and it is real you're able to just, I mean, I, 
who uh, I'm hopeful but skeptical. I I really am hopeful though that, that this works. I'm, out. I'm very hopeful. Yeah, I think I think there's a 75 percent chance that it will be real. Oh, um, that's comforting. <laughs> I, I think it will be real, and then it's basically a game changer. You know, I was just talking to um, the president of CERM the other night, and he yeah you, know, you were. Yeah, you yeah, were. <laughs> it's a weird string of coincidences because we had the Lasker Award lectures here where um, Sudoff was here and everything. Oh, cool. man, nice. But, um, you know, they've invested millions of dollars in, in, in basically developing IPS cells as a f- disease modeling tool and everything. And then, you know, what's going to happen next? It's possible that much of the field would switch over to stop cells and then the whole thing would be repeated again. Listen, I like I said, I wanted it to be real because it would just make a lot of things um, just a little more simple, and it just it would be something. You know, I feel like with this thing, we'll get you know we digress really at the beginning. We can get back on track, but I feel like it's just been similar stuff out there, and this was something really different. You know, yeah, just something yeah, yeah. completely like whoa. And yeah. I think that's why everyone got excited about it and is really skeptical skeptical about it because. It is so um, that the, the implications are so big. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I agree, man. I hope I hope it's just one of these things where you just got to really do the protocol, and there's a couple kinks to work out, and it will eventually all pan out. That's what I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, all right. So let's. So yeah, just, let properly introduce. Us. Tell yeah, us so, about where yeah. you're at and uh, what your lab's been up to, man. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my lab is trying to understand. Uh, the factors that contribute to ALS and frontal temporal dementia, um, why patients have selective degeneration of their nerve cells um, when they have these diseases. And, you know, these are similar to a lot of the other neurodegenerative diseases that you guys are familiar with also, like Parkinson's, where the majority of patients are are sporadically affected and you just don't know um, if they have a genetic mutation that's causing their disease, and and if they do, um, what the what the mutation is, so very little is known about the mechanisms of the disease. Um, whatever is known is 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 has been learned from a rare disease form that's a familial form. It's usually only a small percentage of the population, and so we have no effective therapies. So. Um, our strategy is to use reprogramming to make patient-specific uh, disease models. And our reprogramming strategy is a little bit different from most people um, who are using the IPS approach. Um, we use the uh, direct conversion of fibroblasts into, into neurons. And what that allows us to do is by skipping the IPS step, uh, we can rapidly make neurons and phenotype neurons from many patients at the same time. So we can take, for example, a large cohort of sporadic patient fibroblasts and look to see which which of their neurons actually shows a neurodegenerative phenotype, uh, and then we can we was we assume that those patients actually have a genetic form of the disease because uh, otherwise we, we shouldn't see a neurodegenerative phenotype in our culture system where we have no overt environmental um, insults. And we focus on those people and we try to identify the mutations that are causing their disease and also the mechanisms. And so we think this is a pathway to 
attack the majority of the patients, which are actually the sporadic, the sporadic patients. Um, and the other half of the lab is really trying to understand how reprogramming works. Um, we're trying to we're asking questions like, um, you know, how can we make a, a universal uh, approach to to design the generation of new cell types? You know, to pick the transcription factors without going through the entire process of screening and everything. Um, and then, uh, you know, we we found some interesting factors that seem to regulate. Um, all types of cell reprogramming, not just going from fibroblast to IPS, but we found some factors that we think are big roadblocks for any conversion, and we're trying to understand how that works. Um, so that's, you know, in a nutshell, that's what we're doing. So, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before you, before just in the first half about these papers that are talking about, you know, direct conversion of fibroblasts and such to the pancreatic and to the hepatocyte lineage and something like this. Do you feel where we are in this reprogram? I'm going to call it a field, I guess, in this reprogramming. <laughs> field. It yeah, is. definitely. Do you feel that really you can turn anything into anything at this point if you really have the right combo? Do you really feel, I mean, there are some cell types that maybe are a little bit more yeah, uh, tough to push, but can you push them all? I think you can make any cell type as long as you have the right, culture conditions to support that cell type. Um, I, I think that almost all, many of the other of the somatic cells can be used as starting cells to make anything else. However, it is, I've also seen personally with my own hands and, and also um, it's published now that there are certain cell types that are refractory to being converted into certain other cell types like for example, keratinocytes cannot be converted into neurons. Um, and it seems to come down to the chromatin structure and the ability of um, this, the very important transcription factor that's doing the conversion to be able to bind to its correct sites in that um, starting cell type. So, so, so we should talk about this whole process, transdifferentiation, and how that's different from you know going from the ES stage. My, my question about this, you know, turning skin, say, to neurons, is yeah. is it is it a scalable operation? It's, it's the only reason why I'm less excited about it than, say, reverting back to the stem stage and making tons of neurons, per se. Yeah, yeah. Is it, what, is, that, it, is it that it's older, that it may be able to recapitulate the disease rather than resetting and going to a neuron? You know, what do you think? Yeah, that's a key question. So, um... You know, one of the questions that, so first of all, is it scalable? I mean, I think that we've now gotten our conversion up to about 40 to 50%. So 40 what? to 50% of That's the starting amazing. fibroblasts become motor neurons. That's um, amazing. Is human just, or this is? This is a, human. This is human. That's adult awesome. That is amazing. Yeah. And um, the thing is, though, that still, I mean, you, you're still going to have less neurons in the end than if you start from pluripotent stem cells because... There you go through this proliferative neural progenitor stage, and and you just you actually start from one cell and you get multiple neurons, right? So I think if you're trying to make a lot of neurons, I, I still think iPS cells are going to be the, the the way to go. But um, the question really is also how useful are the neurons, or how you know functional, how mature or aged are they? And that's a big question that. You know, I mentioned to you guys that we were at this um, Tau um, consortium. I think that was one of the biggest issues that came up 
uh, I think people really feel like the neurons and many of the other cell types that we're making from, from iPS cells are really kind of fetal or embryonic. In, they in need the to be aged. Yeah, they need to be aged. And, and we think that's important because many of the diseases are adult onset. And, and, so, and of course, if you're trying to screen for, for drugs, you're trying to screen for drugs in adult cells you, a lot of times. And if you're trying to transplant them, you want mature cells. So um, that's the question. And, and, you know, it's interesting because um, in work that uh, we've been trying to publish now, we compared the induced you know, the directly converted motor neurons to the real uh, spinal cord motor neurons and to the uh, stem cell-derived motor neurons. And the induced motor neurons are a little bit closer in their gene expression profile and their DNA, DNA methylation profile to the real bona fide motor neurons um, rather than... Uh, and, the, and the stem cell-derived motor neurons are a little bit farther away from the real thing. And it really comes down to some of the maturity... Uh, factors are there more in the induced neurons than in the stem cell. And, and, and I was just looking at these papers again because I knew we were going to talk about them, but if you look at the human-induced hepatocyte paper from Hong Kui Deng, they also compared like human-induced hepatocytes and human IPS-derived hepatocytes to real primary adult hepatocytes. And it was interesting because the induced hepatocytes they made by direct conversion were also a little bit closer to the to the real primary ones. So it's you know it may be that there is some advantage of having these this high amount of the transcription factors um, expressed that allows you to mature a little bit more. Um, but I also think that it's going to be important to figure out how to mature those those steps cell-derived cells to where we want to get, and as well as the induced cells. So can I just expand on that real quick? When you see, when you look at these similarities and differences between, because I think, I think that's really an important thing to do, is to compare it to the three or four or the different methods. You have the IPS generated, you have the freshly isolated, or you know how they did it in that paper, and then you have these direct. It, are the similarities, I'm not sure, sure in this paper, but maybe you can speak to your data. The similarities you see, is it in a signature of motor neuron, or is it similarity yeah. in you know general housekeeping things that are just found in an older cell? You know what I'm trying to say? Does I, it, is it more similar because it's older, or does it just have a better... Question, good question. I think the things that we've seen are not necessarily specific to motor neuron. It's the um, similarities between the induced motor neurons and the real bona fide primary motor neurons are are neuronal specific uh, uh, genes. So these are things that are involved in synaptic transmission. Okay. Um, they're not general housekeeping things. Okay. Um, so I do think it's specific to the neuronal lineage. I, I don't know. In the case of the hepatocytes, I don't um, know either. Yeah, well, I wasn't. I'm not sure about that. And I think you know the issue of scale, Joseph. I always say that was my one thing too uh, when the first thing came out with neurons. But um, the question really is, how many cells do you need? I mean, so if you're talking about drug development, where you're going to make a whole bunch of cells to screen drugs, that's one thing. If you're talking about grafting or transplanting, that's a whole another thing. Right. Because I think a problem with direct conversion to a prosmitotic cell like a neuron for grafting is those cells just don't graft well 
yeah, but, it's but it's it, almost like a double edged sword because so, for cell replacement you probably want the younger ones. Yeah, and for drug exactly. screens you want the older ones, which aren't as scalable as you know a pluripotent source. And so it's like you give up one for the other almost. It's it's yeah. it's weird. Oh, that's interesting. All right, so you guys' studies showed that the more immature cells are better at engrafting, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I guess, I guess, like, like back to the question is, what do you, what's your, what's your readout, what's your asset, what are you doing? So if you're, right, if you're just going to do it for drug screening, presumably you don't need many cells, right, Justin? I mean, I haven't done those experiments, but no, I don't, you don't need hundred in the hundreds. Okay, dude, if you're getting forty percent conversion rates, that is amazing. I, that blew my, I, I, I thought it was like it yeah. was like one percent. <laughs> yeah, you know, not to, you don't have to divulge any details, but when you do optimization, are you using the same factors and just kind of playing with your delivery yeah. and things like this? Yeah, it's the same factors. It's, um, but I think we play with things that affect, uh, yeah, the conditions of the cell culture that, um. I think are well. Actually, we don't know exactly how the how can I say it? I mean, yeah, we, we we're using the same factors. It's the same factors. You're not cha- you're not you're same not factors. you're not plus or minusing factors. You're just That's doing right. other manipulations. Okay. That's right. That's right. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I like there was this one paper we talked about earlier where they where they fuse this transactivation domain. Did you see this in stem cell reports onto the four uh, Yamanaka factors? This yes associated protein, which is a it's a trans. It's tra- it's a transactivation domain that increases transcription. No, okay. I didn't see that. And they and they put this onto um, uh, on they basically four. Uh, yeah, Oc four. You know, Sox two. Yeah, uh, they basically put it on the four factors. And when they do that, they can um, uh, they get a much more efficient. I think it was a hundredfold higher than the normal using these kind of methods. So it's like you're saying, it's using the same factors, but. This is a little bit more extreme, but they're playing with the ways to increase transcription levels and such. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's what it really comes down to is being able to have that transcription factor exert its activity. And, and there are different ways to improve that, and I guess that's one really good way. But, yeah, I think that's what it really comes down to. You know, I think most cells can't – they have the ability to be reprogrammed. It's just you need the levels of the factors. Justin. Justin, yeah. I, I have a question. I, I want you to explain like the, the previous story about rep socks and how you replace socks too in the reprogramming. Yeah. Um, so this was a paper that came from out of uh, your the lab when you were with Kevin Egan at Harvard, correct? Am I just so I can everyone's on the same page? Yeah. Okay. Um, you want me to go through the the mechanism and everything? No, I just yeah, I I think the value of that paper was it was the first one to like chemically replace one of the yeah. four Yamanaka factors. Oh right, and yeah, it was, that was a yeah. breakthrough, you know. And you guys called it Rep Socks, which just tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we did do that, and um, this was the first time that we had replaced the factor, and we thought that Socks Two was a good one to go for because it was pretty central. Um, but it also wasn't Oct4, which is almost, you know, it's it's completely essential. And um, we found a lot of different hits that were able to replace this SOX2 factor. Um, and we decided to go with one of them, which was a TGF-beta inhibitor. And it just didn't sound, and the, the name was like EMD616452 <laughs> something, which wasn't, didn't roll off the tongue. Yeah. So... 
<laughs> and the thing is, we were all, of course, we were in Boston, and we were all huge Red Sox fans. I know you guys. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I love that. And it just seemed natural to do, you know, what we were thinking about, what we were going to name it, and it was a replacement of Sox 2, and we are thinking of all kinds of acronyms and everything. And then we just said Rep, rep Sox. And as soon as... <laughs> As soon as we heard that, you know, as soon as we said that, it was just that was it because you could <laughs> rub it in the face of all the Yankees fans. Well, I'm, 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 when I when I look at my deep sequencing datas and my big data sets, I look go after genes that have J E T E R in them, so I can name my finding cheater and one day just put it out there That's for everybody. Great. <laughs> That's great. Well, you, you know what? The real value of that study though was that it was the first one to show that small molecules could reprogram cells. Well, you didn't have to do this genetic manipulation. I thought that was pretty awesome. So where are we with that? What's the state of that, Justin? So, so for everybody, so you know, we're talking about replacing protein or some who, sort of who, manipulation who, who, of genetic material with a small molecule or a drug. Where are we with who's this? Who's the last holdout? We we know who it is. Okay, so so I don't know if you guys saw this paper, but you know, Hong Kui Deng, the same guy who just did the human fibroblast to hepatocytes. He I was, saw. Yeah, I saw. A few that. months ago, he he made MEFs. He converted MEFs into iPS cells using only small molecules. And he basically used, you know, he used Repsox, and then it was 2i, and then um, a couple of other chemicals that were actually most of which were previously identified. And then he found one more that was able to um, activate enough OCT4 activity to catalyze some sort of transition to pluripotency. And it turns out to be like a DNA methylase uh, inhibitor. Did he, did he do it with all four or just did he keep OCT4 in? No, he did. He didn't have any factors. See, there you go, Yos. There that's it is. amazing. He he did it. That's that's amazing. You know, it's but completely... it, was, it was low efficiency. I'm assuming, but again, doesn't I matter. Say, doesn't really matter. You know. Yeah, I mean, it was only. I'm. Not, I think it might have only been with maps as well. I don't think it was with adult. But and it was only with mouse, but not human. But yeah, I mean, just to show that it was possible. You know, to be honest, I wasn't sure it was going to be possible. Oct4 um, was the last holdout, right? Oct4 was the last holdout, and I think the key was being able to somehow demethylate it a little bit um, in order to get it activated. But then, cool. but then, you know, I mean, now then this whole stat thing came and... Um, changed the game. It changed the game, yeah. It, well, yeah, it changed the game, and uh, we'll see. I mean, like I said, I, uh, I hope that game is viable because... Uh, yeah. Well, maybe funny, you we can add a little like bit. People, maybe people you can add make. a little bit of both. You know, a little bit of they, stap and a little bit of acid. A little bit of you know, you don't yeah. have to really replace oct four so much. I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, the thing is, we're, we're what we're trying to do is actually use the stap method to make other cell types. Now, um, you know, we're interested in making neurons with this with the stap or neural progenitors with the stap. So. If that turns out to be possible, I mean, I don't think it's specific to, you know, IPS cells or potent um, cells. So I, I think we're just going to have to see where, where it can take us. Um, all right. So let's, let's go to this, the second part. What we typically do with guests is we ask them for our, uh, you know, a lot of people out there, it, 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 I think we're used to this question, Justin. I know I am. I get it a lot. You know, when, what, what's 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 really going to come from these stem cells in terms of a therapy um so 
why we why as we as scientists don't like to tell people well this is going to be cured in a week um we like to get the perspective of of our guest on where what they feel kind of a as joseph likes to call it where's the beef kind of where they would see the most immediate uh impact on a therapy or therapeutic from regenerative medicine or stem cell therapy in some aspect yeah i think probably one thing that's going to happen relatively quickly is um, the use of these hepatocytes in toxicology uh, evaluations. So I think that it'll identify things that are going to be toxic. So that'll streamline the preclinical and clinical trial um, process, which I think is going to accelerate um, new drugs getting to market. It, you know, And I think that's one thing. Um, I think the drug discovery of, you know, totally new drugs, uh, it's going to take some time. You know, it takes time to develop these things. And these assays are just now getting into the hands of, of farm, big pharma. So I think that's going to, you know, that's going to take a little while. Um, I'm actually pretty, you know, of course, there's the macular degeneration for, with the cell transplantation. That's going really well, but, you know, for, I work from several groups. So that's near on the horizon, and I'm really excited about this dopaminergic transplantation that you got, that Yosef, that you're you're working on, you're doing. Yeah, so am I. I <laughs> yeah, I think that you know that already the proof of concept of that working when you have primary fetal tissue, you know, that's already that's already there, and uh, and then you have the work in the monkey, uh, I think it was, and then. Now it's just a matter of, I think you guys are, you guys may be one of the first people to really have a real uh, stem cell transplantation therapy, I, I think. I, th I know Jun Takahashi out in, is it Jun Takahashi out in Japan or they're doing an IPS uh, dopaminergic transplantation uh, trial starting very soon. So they, they'll, 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 they'll do way it more graftings than we do. Say it again. Uh, Jun Takahashi, they do way more graftings than uh. we do. In monkey at least. Yeah, I mean, they're, but they'll they're going to start in patients out in Japan, and then Lorenz is on that on that way down to uh, uh, in the U.S. But Justin, I, I I agree with you that hepatocyte. Uh, yeah, that's I, amazing. That's really really important, especially for you know with all the different cytochrome P four fifties and things like yeah. this, the variants to get a, to get a, a patient specific hepatocyte line to know drug sensitivities and clearance is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, and the question is now, you know, I mean, the question with all these stem cell and induced cells are really how how good are they at telling us what is going on in our bodies? And I would like to see them use, you know, take a take a, a retrospective approach where, you know, these drug companies have tested many, many compounds for toxicity, and they've definitely identified the ones that are very toxic, and they've quantified how toxic they are. You know, can they take those compounds and now test them on these new hepatocytes and see if that if the data from the new hepatocytes really correlates well with what they found when they tested them in vivo? No, that's, and let's just see if these are going to be a predictive tool or not. It's a great idea. I mean, at this point, you have that spill in Virginia, and you're like, uh, or whatever yeah. the river. It'd be great to have something to test these untested chemicals with. But, yeah, that's uh, true. And and yeah. that just blew my mind. I didn't even think about that, you know, use for stem cell-derived hepatocytes. That's that's great. Toxicology screens. Thanks for saying yeah. something different besides RPE. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, all right, so Mandy, you have a, a so we ask for funny stories, and we get some, some we get some pretty awesome stuff. So, uh, what do you got? You got anything good? Anything stupid or crazy that happened to you during the course of your scientific career up to yeah, this day? Uh, I mean, one one thing it wasn't in the lab per se, but I remember I think you were there at some point of this. No, I mean, no. This is when we had the ISSCR in Barcelona. And then, you know, my postdoc advisor, oh, yeah. Evan, you know, we, we <laughs> were both kind of talking about the conference. And then we realized that the running of the Bulls was oh. right, right before it. Oh, my goodness. So he was, you know him. He's going to, if he, if something was like that is going You're on. Going. You're going. going. So I got roped into going. And then we brought in, um, our other collaborator on the RepSox story, Joel Blanchard, and we were all supposed to converge uh, basically there and run with the Bulls. And the whole thing got it, the whole thing got messed up because my flight from Boston to there to Madrid got delayed, and so I failed to meet Joel on the train uh, going up to Pamplona. But then he, I tried to call him, and his cell phone was off, so. I got all the way to Madrid, and I had no idea where Joel was. Um, and so I just caught another plane up to uh, what's that? It was another city next to Pamplona. It wasn't Bilbao, was it? Bilbao, Bilbao. And somehow Joel had figured that I wasn't coming and caught the train himself, and he was there, and Kevin was there, and so everybody was there at this Bilbao. <laughs> Kevin rented a car that we were going to drive over to uh, to, to Pamplona. So we do that. Kevin's driving like 100 miles per hour because, you know, we want to get there. He wants to get there in time for the party, the all-night party. And we get there and we realize that Joel just forgot to bring shoes. (laughs) (laughs) He just had no shoes. I I guess he wasn't going to – I don't know what he was going to do. He was going to run in slippers. And uh, so we had to find some shoes for him. And then meanwhile, it's a, I don't know if you've ever been to this thing, but it's a huge, huge, massive party. It's like a, it's like a frat party times a thousand. For, for after running of the bulls? Before, yeah, before every night of the running of the bulls, yeah. Okay. So we go there, we're there all night, you know, it, there's a lot of partying going on. And then um, in the morning... We're dead tired. Like, I haven't slept. Nobody's slept. You know, we've got some... We, we try to take some some medication to get us amped up. And then we, we finally get ready to run with the bulls. And then what I didn't know is they, they, they push everybody out of the way, like, five minutes before the bulls run. Because I guess if they didn't, people would just get killed. Because <laughs> they're just partying. So we get pushed off, and then... And then they fence everything off, and so it's like a mad scramble to try to figure out how to get back onto the course. And at that point, it was like we had come all this way, and we weren't even going to get to run with the bulls. So we all kind of scrambled, and everybody got split up. So I didn't, I didn't even see Kevin after that. And, and I finally found Joel, and we, we did the, we ran with no shoes. Yeah, he ran. Actually, he he borrowed like Kevin's uh, like um, like dress shoes. <laughs> he was running Kevin's dress That's shoes. That's the best part. Like, oh my God. The, with the white outfit and everything, and these like black, you know, sh- shiny shoes. And then uh, we ran into the arena, and then there's like five minutes where you have to dodge the bulls as they're running around. Uh, and then we 
uh, after that, there's more, you know, celebration. So there's just more drinking and eating. And then finally, like three in the afternoon, we decided to leave and go to the conference. And I was, by that time, I had been up for about two nights in a row because I didn't sleep the night before I even went to meet them. So I was, I tried to stay up, but I, w- I was just too tired and I was in the front seat and I just fell asleep. And Kevin just like woke me up all of a sudden at the, at the, at a gas station. He's like, figure out, he's like, figure out if we need, um, unleaded or if we need diesel. <laughs> and I was just flustered at that point because I was, I was sleeping the whole time. So I, I opened the thing and he's pressuring me. He's like, come on, come on. And I, I opened the manual and I just saw something about, unleaded and i just said unleaded so then he fills up and then we're 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 going we're we're pull out of the <laughs> gas station and then and then he's like i think something i think i broke the car i think i was driving <laughs> fast this thing is just not going i was like oh what are we gonna do about that he's like i don't know but i just hope we can make it to, to barcelona and everything's going okay but then we get to this uh this uh toll booth and we pay the fare, and then we can't. All of a sudden, the car just dies, and we just can't go anywhere. And so we get out. We're still in our running of the bulls uniform. We're like pushing this car over to the side of the freeway, and everybody's like honking at us, like you know, like cheering us on. And then we find out that we, I looked again at the manual. It turns out this car takes diesel. <laughs> and Kevin was—you could just see his face. It just turned bright red. He got so pissed. Oh, but man. I think he got so pissed he was going to, like, unload on me. But he decides <laughs> to go for a, a run. So he, instead, so he's, like, he's like jogging on the side of the freeway while we're just – and the rest – Joel and I are just waiting there. He's, like, running down the freeway in his running on the Bulls uniform. <laughs> and finally, like, the, the car company came and they – we told them that the car just broke down and they took it away and they gave us a new car. And then uh, he never got charged for that. So they had a car with the wrong gas in it at the end. Dude, Excellent you don't understand. Story. I got a text <laughs> message that morning from Kevin who said, go online, book a flight to Pamplona. That's all I got. I got nothing else. And I was like, wait a minute. And I was doing something for the NICEF at the time for the Canadian whatever, and I couldn't get out. And I was giving a talk the next day in the oh, afternoon. Yeah. And so I'm like, Kevin, I'm like, I got to talk, man. I don't know if I'll make it back. He's like, no, we're going to make it back. We're going to make it back. Just get on that plane. You better be there. It's a good thing you didn't do And it. I'm like, dude, if I miss my talk at ISSCR, <laughs> I'll regret it forever. And it's a good thing because when Kevin got back, he's like, you would have missed your talk, man. We got stuck yeah. on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Oh, that's a great, great. So I could just see Kevin jogging and running he on the side so of the road. Pissed. He was so pissed. He just had to go for a run instead of, un- he would have unloaded on me otherwise. I love that. Just go for a run run it out so um will you stick around with our uh rant yeah go for All it right, yeah, cool so we first wrap off this thank up. you justin we're gonna get into the rant now i brought this up at the beginning of the show with uh yosef here it's so just our little rant session we get to kind of complain about we try to do it lab oriented for everyone out there uh my i want to rant about stir bars tonight yeah so for everyone who doesn't know what a stir bar is it's like a little magnetic bar and they come in these different sizes and you put them inside of a, a beaker or cuppers, a container, fill it with liquid, and you put it on this plate that has a magnet. You turn the magnet on, and it will stir the bar. The bar, like a propeller, will spin, and it will stir your water. The problem is, man, those freaking stir bars, you can never get the right speed. 
So it's always you, you, you think you, you want to get it. Like yeah, a, but you should say meat. usually it's like a, a pile of sugar or some powder or some LB media that you need to dissolve, you know, dissolve in the, the water or whatever the, you know, media is. And so there's this pile and it gets lost in the pile sometimes. And then it, you know, sort of comes out of the powder and just starts spinning out of control and you've lost all control. Yeah, but there's yeah. A, you you think you got it right? You set it, and you're like, "Hell yeah, it's perfect! I got the perfect center, right? And I got the perfect speed." And then you walk away, and all of a sudden you hear ding 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 ding. ding, ding. <laughs> I'm just like, "What the hell?" I go over the, the starboard, bouncing all over the place, and I so I have to do it again. Or like someone on the bench behind me used to set theirs and leave, and I'm trying to do work, and all I hear is their stir bar bouncing all oh, over the that's place. Maddening. I mean, have we not come up with a better solution here to stir something, Justin? Like, what do you got? You got any fancy stir bar advice for everyone? Because oh, yeah. like, got the regular same thing you guys got and the thing is sometimes you set your you know your blot transferring overnight you come back and the thing is just dancing around the stir bar is just dancing around and it probably was dancing around all night it's probably, <laughs> probably stirring for about five minutes and then it, it just kicked off yeah and it wasn't doing its job for the rest of the time yeah. and you know that chaos that, that chaos kicks him pretty soon you know it's just and it lasts all night uh, it's crazy, and like, there's different. That I feel like the size of the stir bar is really what matters here. Um, you know, no pun. Intended. No, it's the it's, motion in the media. Yeah, maybe it's the motion in the media. Um, yeah. All right, but the key uh, uh, is to start off slow, and then like get that stir bar going to a nice rhythm. Yeah, but you can't get overzealous. Yeah, exactly. Because that's when exactly. it starts to bounce. Exactly. So <laughs> nice rant, man. That was that was. Beautiful rant. Oh, man. All right. Well, listen, thank you, Justin, uh, for coming on and talking to us about uh, what you're doing and reprogramming and that amazing story about Spain. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely have you on at some point in the future when we have some uh, some stuff new out of your lab so you can come on and tell us about your new stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, we're going uh, to take – Yost is going to take us out with a little bit of music here, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, man? All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, take man. care,